Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. So welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, we're going to be doing it by looking at Matthew. And we were looking at Matthew this morning in Matthew 6. And uh, just right up till the show was going, I was editing some of the uh, links that I have recently put onto that page. I see there's one more link I have to add in there, but I've opened it up. I won't do it during the show, but I'll do it later. But uh, basically... Uh, in going to a review this morning, which will be added to the website under Matthew 6, as well as uh, part of this show, which is going to go into Matthew 7. You know, I talked about the fact that Matthew was very clear and understanding that Jesus Christ was not only the highest son of David and the actual heir to the throne of David, was able because he was both priest and high, uh, you know, high priest and king, that he could actually fire the money changers. Uh, he could do that just as king, but then he could be overruled by the high priest and vice versa. But as priest and, and high priest and king, he could fire all the money changers, which was their equivalent to the IRS right before uh you know income tax day which was uh in the month of adar and if you look up our article on money changers that's exactly what jesus was doing he was firing them because they were not to be appointed from the top down they were to be appointed from the bottom up and they were not tax collectors but tithe collectors which we mentioned this morning taxes and tithing are the same idea with a difference in the means and method. Taxation is a compelled offering from the top in a government that is clearly not a liber respublica, not a republic, probably a democracy or a socialist democracy or a communist democracy, all of which are forms of government. But in a pure republic, you're free from things public. So, therefore, the power of choice is still in the hands of the people. They, if you look up our page on Citizen uh, at Preparing You, you will see two forms of citizen defined in the Blacks' dictionaries. One is a natural inhabitant of the land, not subject to the administration of government. And the other one, subject to the administration of government, in which you could get benefits at the expense of your neighbor. And that one, uh, the, the one that's not subject to the administration of government, would be not subject to administrative law. Still be subject to law, but not administrative law, which would remove a great deal of the law that people are now under. If you could actually move from your present status, which is the bondage of Egypt or the bondage of FDR, and into a free state under God. 
in heaven, not the gods in Washington, D.C., the ruling judges in Washington, D.C. So you see, this was exactly what Jesus was doing, and now you can see the controversy, especially since you know that Caesar was the Son of God, and Jesus was also called the Son of God. Caesar had a system of daily bread that was based on force offerings, and Jesus had an administration or a ministration of daily bread, for, uh, not based on forced offerings, but based on free will offerings. If you're in a system of forced offerings to take care of the needy of your society, you're back in bondage again. And you're probably back in that bondage because of the fact that you have sinned against God and your fellow man by engaging in covetous practices through which you could take from your neighbor, take a bite out of your neighbor uh, through the teeth of government, the exercising authority of government. You could take a bite out of them. You could force them to pay for your child's education. You could force them to maybe even pay off your student loans. You could force your neighbor to provide health education and welfare of all sorts and forms through the men who exercise authority one over the other. And they would be your benefactor. Well, Christ said we weren't to do that. We weren't to be like that. It's right there in the Gospel of Matthew, in Mark, and Luke. But yet... All the modern Christian churches, just about, I'm going to say just about because there could be one I haven't seen, but every one I've seen say it's absolutely, absolutely okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority one over the other that are a part of the governments of the world. Well, Jesus' kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. It was not a part of the governments of the world. That's why Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. It's in this world, but it's not of this world. And so, you know, there's a brief summary of what we're talking about when we're preaching the kingdom of God. But what does the kingdom of God look like? How do we operate in the kingdom of God? Well, we can only operate by charity. We can only operate by tithes. And you don't want to send them all to me. Uh, you you want to send them where they're locally controlled. And, and contrary to what uh, the, the great president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, suggested, is not trickle down. But he was trying to supposedly move the economy or the tax system so that you get to keep more of your funds. Of course... In the long run, because he didn't do anything about draining the swamp, and you can't do anything about draining the swamp until the people remove the swamp monster from their own heart. One man can't go and drain the swamp. It's too big a swamp. There's too much tyranny. It's composed of thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of swamp monsters. We call them bureaucrats now. We don't call them swamp monsters, but they have the spirit of the dragon in them. They're absolutely okay with biting one another. And, and sometimes it's because they simply can't see and they don't have ears to hear and eyes to see. Maybe, in, and we're not judging them. 
We're just saying that, as a matter of fact, it is our prayer and our hope that they begin to repent. Like the Roman centurion, a man of faith. He, he obtained that faith after he became a centurion. And, but there was probably, you know, like he probably became a centurion because he genuinely believed in law and order. But the way you get law and order is the law has to be written on your heart and upon your mind. And that means every citizen. Well, of course, every citizen is not going to agree. But you don't need a majority if you go back to the actual law. One of our ministers sent out a post talking about the fact that and I've I've done shows way in the past. I don't know if they're on good recordings or not, but way in the past about, you know, back at Prince John, the Magna Carta. Knowing history, the Magna Carta was signed and he got a nasty letter from the Pope for signing the Magna Carta. Well, he wrote a letter back to the Pope explaining why he did and that the Pope's concerns were not a problem because... He said, I have already signed over the chattels and choses of action of all the, the, the power of the king of Great Britain, which we can question if we go all the way back to 1066. But as John had it at that particular time, he had signed over his chattels and choses to the Pope. So by signing the Magna Carta, he can't affect that exchange, because that exchange was prior to the Magna Carta. He can only affect some changes. Of course, they found out really quick that he wasn't paying any attention to what he had signed. And so they had to make him sign it again. Most people don't know that it was not signed one time. It was signed more than once. And they don't understand the text of it anyway. I mean, everybody can understand some of it. If you translate it into modern English, because old English, they probably could not understand hardly anything. But that's all a matter of history. And now we come down to the present day, and I've quoted cases and cases of the Supreme Court referring back to, like, the church, the Catholic Church. And that it has this pre-existence to the United States government. And in the court cases, they go all the way back to Constantine. They don't go all the way back to Christ. There are there are some court cases that will mention Christ. But they go all the way back to Constantine. Well, Constantine was not anointed by the Christ. Christ is the oil. The, the, holy, the holy oil of the Holy Spirit. And that he wasn't anointed by that. And we know that by what he did. And it's just like being born again. People say they're born again. And they give you the date. But if they just read a few verses farther, it says, well, no, if you're still a worker of iniquity, then you don't love the light. And if you don't love the light, you're not born again. It tells you right there. And if you want a list of the works of iniquity, you can, Paul's got several lists that he gives. Uh, Jesus has some lists. And one of the things that are on that list of iniquities is covetousness. Which in Colossians they tell you is idolatry. And idolatry is going to the men who exercise authority to get the benefits at the expense of your neighbor through their power of authority. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm coming at you from everywhere. If you're having difficulty understanding this, 
That's why we create these pages so that we have links to all the different uh, deals. So the almsgiving they talk about in, in Matthew 6 is the tithing. And the thing about tithing is that the Levites couldn't kick in your door if you didn't tithe enough. Enough. They didn't have that kind of power. From the days of Moses, they had to be free will offerings. Now, they could exclude you from the benefits if you've been selfish and, and not sharing at all, not gathering together. And they said, well, who who are you? We don't even know you. You never show up. You've never given anything. Well, they, they said, well, I believe. Yeah, but you don't believe in coming together. You're not practicing religion, certainly not pure religion. Because religion is how you take care of the needy. And if you become needy and you haven't got any religion, then you're going to have to depend on somebody else. Now, we might help you anyway, like the Good Samaritan. But we have no obligation to. We don't have any obligation anyway, because you have no obligation in tithing to the church. Now, you could tithe to the Catholic Church or the Seventh-day Adventist Church or the, uh, let's see, what are some of the other churches, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Christian denominations, Lutherans, Methodists, all of them. But which of those are taking care of the needy of their society? They're, they all depend upon, they all ride the beast. You know, the, the harlot and... And uh, the daughters of the harlot, they all ride the beast of government. And they said, well, if you need anything, just ask the government. Because the government is forcing the contributions of your neighbor and your contributions too. And they will take care of your needs. The church is just supposed to tickle your ears and make you feel good. Sing songs. The church today, the modern church today, not the church, not the his holy church, but the modern church today, they don't take care of the needy. They send you to the benefactors who exercise authority. They're not established by Christ. They're established by Constantine. Oh, they'll claim Christ. But Jesus talks about that over and over again. So anyway, understanding that this charity of choice that were required, uh, that we were given, we acquired by the gift of Christ, uh, allows us to be sons of Adam and uh, sons of man with who were free. You know, like Archibald McLeish said, freedom is the right to choose. The right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice, the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. And, of course, that's what most men have become. Merchandise, instruments, human resources. They don't have any choice about their contribution to public religion. They've lost that. They've been entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Now, if you want to change that, you have to think differently than the thinking that got you where you are today. Whether it was your parents' thinking or your grandparents' thinking or maybe your own thinking or maybe your lack of thinking because you didn't know and you didn't take the time to find out. But 
the solution that Christ offered is still there and still available. It's not instantaneously available, which which is why Christ didn't say grab the kingdom of God or jump into the kingdom of God. He said seek it. And, and not just seek the kingdom of God, this liberty under God, but seek the righteousness of God. And of course, Matthew is talking about that. He is leading us in that direction. And Christ is giving us back that choice. And he's limiting the power of his ministers. So that they also are granting that choice. So at the end of the program this morning, I talked about anxiety a little bit. And I said there were these scientific studies that have not only shown that gratitude... Lessons stress. But gratitude and anxiety cannot exist in the brain at the exact same time. I mean, you can kind of flicker back and forth in them, but the reality is that if you are really sincerely grateful, the anxiety begins to drain away like air out of a hot balloon. And they say the brain cannot respond to anxiety and gratitude at the same time. This is what their scientific conclusion is. And today, the world is plagued with anxiety. And of course, this Matthew 6 is talking about be not concerned, be not worried, you know, about this and that and the other thing, but be thankful for what you got and, and trust in God, which of course is the very walk of faith that we're talking about. It, the point is, this anxiety or gratitude becomes an either-or reality that is easier to accomplish if you believe in a higher power, a God. I heard a small boy explaining God. He was doing a pretty good job in his own terms. And you can see him struggling for words. But he says, uh, God is like a fuel. It's source. And it's in everything. It's created everything. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in yourself. Because God is in you. God, if, if God is completely out of you, the atoms stop existing. And he says, now you can pray to it and you can, you can call upon it, but you can't compel it to function According to your will, you can accept its will. And of course, that's what Christ is saying in Matthew 6. Is that God's will is good for you. He's not going to give you a snake when you ask for a gift. But he's not going to give you what you want. He's very clear that he's going to give you what you need. You know, I always remember a guy who won the lottery. Now he could buy whatever he wanted. And of course, he's only gonna, he's gonna have to buy it on time because they don't give you all the money at once. What they, they're gonna give you 30 million dollars or whatever it is in installments and in payments. And so, but you can now go out and borrow, you know, because you have the evidence that you're gonna be getting these from the state, you can go out and borrow money and buy a fancy car. And that's what he did. He bought a fancy car with a TV in it. And stereo in it, and air conditioning in it. It was just this, like limousine, 
and everything very comfortable. And he went out in the garage and he sat in it and he turned it on and started watching the TV and and uh, experiencing the air conditioning. And it was really great. And he thought, I got what I wanted. And then the battery started running down because he's running all the electronics. And so he started the engine and started running the engine and, and fell asleep watching the TV in his car. And his car was in his garage. And his garage door was shut. And he died. And when he dies, the, the payments stop coming. The state gets to keep all the money. They don't have to, they're not, it's not an estate. It's not going to go to, only the payments he can get as long as he lives. And so the car company came and took back the car and they didn't even have enough money to pay for his funeral. But he got what he wanted. But what he wanted killed him. And maybe a little foolishness on his part. But God's not going to give you what, he's not going to give you a serpent. He's going to give you what you need. He's not going to spoil you. He's going to give you love. He's going to give you tough love. And if you're grateful for that tough love, he will put that love in you and it will come through you to others. It will even come to your enemy. And your enemy, who's your enemy? Well, your enemy is those who don't love God. <laughs> if you love God... That they'll be the ones that don't love God. And if they don't love God, they're your enemy. Just that simple. But you're supposed to love your enemy. Well, loving your enemy is, like I said this morning, it's like an arrow. It's like a burning arrow to those who don't love God. And, and there's several quotes in the Bible that talks about like hot coals upon your head. Old Testament and New Testament. And so, anyway, I see a lot more callers coming in. So, what is, what, what, where does the Bible talk about anxiety? Well, it talks about it all, all over the place. Where does it talk about gratitude? Well, it, it talks about that all over this, the place. And so, we can just go right down, and I actually put, I just grabbed a list of uh, this quotes. And, of course, many of the quotes we just saw in Matthew, you know, don't worry about this and everything. That's all talking about not having anxiety, but having faith. Because faith isn't that you believe in an ideology. Faith is actually an internal conviction that you you now become compelled. And we talked about this last week where they were talking about you know, where the, this company, what was it, Best Buys, was making people take courses on LGBTQ, whatever, ideology. and But they couldn't talk about their Christianity or even wear a cross to work. And, of course, their Christianity is probably partially fake Christianity because they, they haven't heard the whole gospel. They've heard the fake gospel of the apostate religions, but maybe they'll hear, you know, hopefully they'll hear this, but that that's up to you and God and what you share with other people. But anyway, one of the things that the, the either the manager or the CEO, I think it was the manager of that particular said, well, homosexuality is not a choice. 
we have to be this way. And of course, that's in agreement with the Bible. That you will be turned over to unnatural lusts. Why? Because you're not, you've already abandoned the gospel. And you have been coveting your neighbor's goods. That's why there, there was so many homosexuals in Nazi Germany. In the higher ranks. Why were there so many? Because that's what it leads to. That's one of the things. That it can lead to all kinds of things. Paul has a big long list. But this unnatural affection and the perversion of the use of the woman was just, you know, I mean, recently we've had all kinds of men be woman of the year. Winning women's sports. <laughs> and the feminists don't do anything about it. The men are in, they're, men are better at being women evidently than women. <laughs> well, it's because a lot of women aren't really being women, because real women wouldn't put up with that. Uh, and, real, and real men wouldn't want to put up with that. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so, anyway, one of the first quotes was Philippians 4, 11, 12. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. So, he's okay with need. He's appreciative of need. I know how to, how to feel the need. You know, one of the things I tell people, you know, when they have a pain and injury, I've had a lot of injuries over, nah, I just lived a long time and I'm very active, so I have, I'm not accident prone. Uh, like some people, but uh, I've had a few, you know, I broke horses for a living for a little short period of time <laughs> and uh, done a lot of physical work with uh, everything from chainsaws to press and equipment and and everything. And so I, I have gotten injured from time to time. And sometimes they were painful injuries. But then I said, well, you go to the pain. You, you know, you actually take your conscious, you don't flee the pain, you accept the pain. You're appreciative of the pain. You're thankful for the pain. You know, I always remember a story, this is one of those Kodak moments where somebody was telling, a guy did not feel pain. Somehow or other, his nervous system, you, you could put a vice grips on his finger and just crush it, he couldn't feel it. He didn't feel pain. And supposedly the story goes, I don't know if it was true or not, but he sat on a scissors that was in a chair once. And it, there's a there's an artery in your leg that if you cut it, it you, you're going to bleed out. And he cut it. And he bled out. And he didn't know he was bleeding out. He just got, you get sleepy and then you go to sleep. But he couldn't feel the pain. So he didn't know he was injured, severely injured. Other people have been, I've known of people who were drunk and had a car accident. And they didn't know that they were bleeding because they were drunk. And they just laid there and bled out. 
they were conscious, but they you st- when you start losing blood, you start getting sleepy. So pain is a gift. It's more of a gift than most people realize. It awakens you to the fact that, hey, you know, that stove's hot. Take your hand off of it. You know, like the the line in Magnificent Seven, uh, Steve McQueen, what was it? Uh, it doesn't take me long to tell the difference between my elbow and a hot rock. Well, that's a joke. <laughs> you should be able to tell that you picked up a hot rock because it's burning your fingers. But it doesn't take him long when the heat gets all the way up to his elbow. <laughs> it's already burned his whole hand and his arm and everything. So yeah, no, you, you, pain is a gift because it notifies you that there's something wrong. But it's more than that. It's directing your attention to something wrong. And of course, if it's something wrong, like you picked up a hot rock, you drop the hot rock. It might burn the tip of your fingers, but it won't burn your whole hand. But it actually can heal you. God showed me this early on. Yeah, I had third degree burns. Actually, when I, the doctor looked at the burn, it was in an automobile accident that was not my fault. Actually, I, I probably, the Holy Spirit probably saved my life because for some strange reason, I remember the moments before the accident, I slowed down and did not hit the other car that passed in front of us as hard as I would have if I was going the speed limit. But I dropped my speed by at least 10 miles an hour. And then, of course, this car pulls out in front of us. We would have just smacked right into it. But anyway, it was meant to be. A lot of reasons why. You just have to ask me separately. But I was knocked unconscious laying across the muffler and it burned my back. And I, I, I couldn't see it, but I asked the doctor, I said, is that third degree? And he says, it's not third degree. It's well done roast beef because it had literally cooked the muscle. He said, there's no way this will heal. It looked like a map of Australia on my back. No way is this going to heal without skin grafts. Well, it was completely healed over in less than a week. It was still weeping for a couple more weeks. It was sensitive to pain for a couple more years. But you can't even see where it was. And there was no skin grafts. How did that happen? How did the bones that broke all my shoulder bones broke loose from the rest of my torso and uh, healed up? I had a concussion because I was flopping around outside of the vehicle as it was rolling over, (laughs) because the door was locked on my leg. How did I survive that? Well, I I attribute it to the Holy Spirit. How did I heal so fast that within 30 days I was hauling pulpwood out of the woods by lifting the logs and loading them on a dray? How how did that happen? It was because I went to the pain, and I understood it better at that time. I'm getting older. I probably heal a little bit slower. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I haven't broke so many bones lately. (laughs) But but, uh, the reality is, is that you're by going, but it's not enough just to go to the pain. You have to do it with thanksgiving. And it can actually heal you. It can also be like slings and arrows towards your enemy. And they will flee. They will freeze. They will bind up. Now this is reality. I've told stories before why I say this. 
But this is what they're talking about in Philippians. That he's okay with hunger. He's okay with abound. He's okay with uh, understanding, instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both abound and to suffer need. He's okay with either one. He's thankful for either one. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Verse 16 starts, Rejoice evermore for everything. Be joyful for everything. The pain, the headache, the need, the want. Be joyful and thankful for everything. Pray without ceasing. Now, again, what's prayer? Most people think when I say prayer that I'm talking about, you know, asking for stuff. That's not the prayer of Christ. His his ultimate prayer was, Thy will be done. Give me what I need, not what I want. And, and that's a different kind of prayer. And believing that God can provide these things, which is the whole story of Matthew 6. You know, that God will provide these things that you need, not necessarily what you want. But they, this is where you're walking in faith. You're not asking the gods of the world to provide for you. You're asking for God's provision. The God of heaven. God the Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Not our Father who art in Rome. People who are going, I'm going to get Trump elected and then he will fix things. And we got these other guys saying, I'll get Biden elected again. Or maybe they got somebody else, some other candidate. They're not going to fix things. That's the gods of the world. Or at least the guy who picks all the gods of the world. Supreme Court will fix this. Maybe. Maybe not. It won't fix it because the problem isn't coming from the top down. It's coming from the bottom of your own heart. Anyway, he says, pray without ceasing. In verse 18, he goes on, in everything giving or give thanks. In everything give thanks. So what word is that? Now, of course, this is in the Greek, New Testament. Eucharistio. That's what the word is there. Eucharistio. To be grateful, to feel thankful, to give thanks. For everything. That's the Eucharist of Christ. That's what they're talking about. The Eucharist of Christ. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. So if you're not thankful for everything, you know what you're doing? You're quenching the Spirit. If you are thankful for everything, the good and the bad, the hungry and the the heat and the cold and what have you, then you're, you're not going to be at least quenching the spirit with that unthankful, un-Eucharistio attitude. Now, you can't manufacture this attitude. This attitude is actually a gift from God, which is a little bit about you know, where it was talking about the Beatitudes. That's the way it's translated, Beatitudes, when they refer to blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They just say blessed are the poor in many translations, but it's actually the Greek is the poor in spirit. And the word poor there doesn't mean financially poor. It means beggarly. It's the spirit that asks, desires, 
understands that my spirit is not full and complete unto itself. It can only be fulfilled as it's fueled up by God. That's where my fuel has to come from God. The light in my heart has to come from God. The wisdom in my mind has to come from God. Because I have a beggarly spirit that knows that I am not God. See, that's where Adam and Eve had trouble understanding that they were not God. Even if they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're still not God. They will be like God, but they will not be God. And when they did that, they quenched the spirit. In other words, they couldn't go near the tree of life anymore. Now, I had this explanation in, in different words to the ministers on the minister group, but now I'm expanding that to so that they can relate what I was trying to say by looking at the poor in spirit, beggarly in spirit, know that I'm not God in spirit, because if I think I am God, if I'm not thankful for the good and the bad, I will quench the Holy Spirit and slow down healing. And I I can't do this on my own. This is not a trick. The only way you can deal with that pain, because when you first start going to the pain, guess what? You're going to feel the pain. You take all kinds of drugs so you don't feel the pain anymore. You you may not feel the pain. It's still there. You just don't feel it in your conscious mind. And guess what? You can't go to it if you can't see it. <laughs> so the idea of, you know, this is the same reason why I warn people about, you know, too much marijuana smoking, too much, uh, you know, peyote or mushrooms and all that. You got everything you need in your mind now. Now, there are certain nutritions that you could use and everything, but there is no trick or fast track to awakening the Holy Spirit in you. But there's all kinds of fast tracks to quench that spirit. But one of the things, the most important thing, is to understand that everything, you have to give thanks for everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) So... You know, uh, even when people spitefully use you, you have to forgive them. You have to give thanks even for what they have done to you. And say, you know, this is why I, I tell people, I said, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me with this guy? <laughs> and so you, you have this other, it's a different approach. It's a kingdom walk. Psalms 107. Verses 1 through 3. Oh, if you're wondering where I have these, I have, this is what I was putting together just before the show. And uh, it's uh, on the Matthew 6 page. But in Psalms 107, and I may change the order of this and everything because I just, like I said, I just gleaned this order off of a search on the internet. And, uh, but Psalms, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Okay, that statement is chock full. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Okay, 
you're putting yourself in a different position. I really should add, I'll make a note to self, add some of the uh, Hebrew here. I don't know which Hebrew word they use there, and I could take the time to find out, but it's probably a word like yada or uh, toda, which is like yada, but with uh, tov at the beginning. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yada is, you know, yad, uh, delet, uh, hey. And uh, toda is tov, uh, is it tov, vav? I think it's Tav Vav, which Vav is a lot like an extended Yod, but it's I'm looking at it in my head. Delet, uh, hey. So they add this Tav on the beginning, and the word that is Yada becomes the word that uh, we see as uh, Tavda or Tada. Well, Tada is, is said to mean confession, praise, and thanksgiving. Because, you know, it has that faith word at the beginning. But yada, although it's often translated praise and, and uh, confess or, or thanks or thanksgiving, uh, it actually is defined as throw, shoot, or cast. It actually is the word for to shoot an arrow. <laughs> okay, so wait a minute. How is the word for thanksgiving and praise and being thankful the same word for to throw, shoot, or cast an arrow? How is that? Well, because there's a message in this madness. (laughs) What did I say? To love your enemy, to give thanks for those who spitefully use you, because you, you look at them as a gift to God because there's a lesson in there for you. And if you're truly thankful, you can draw near to the Holy Spirit. This is an opportunity to reverse the quenching of the Spirit. You know, although I may pray, God, spare me too many opportunities of people abusing me and persecuting me. <laughs> I can pray for that, but... His will be done. So anyway, back to Psalms 107. Now, Psalms is about songs. The songs of David. But what you really want to learn is the song of the Lamb. And of course, David is really trying to teach you that. And and the Holy Spirit is the song of Moses. And, and Moses was trying to set the captive free. And not rule over the people. But today, the modern church says, you can rule over your neighbor as long as you do it through government. You can force your neighbor to do what you want as long as you do it through government. Christ said no. Moses said no. All the prophets said no. All the apostles said no. Psalms is telling you no. You can't rule over your neighbor. You have to be thankful because his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So redeemed from the hand of the enemy. How does he do that? He does that with his love. When you're filled up with the fuel of God, the love of God, remember I always tell you that 
the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of Jesus is a utility. A utility is like the power coming over the lines. That's like fuel, like the little boy said. God is like fuel. It, because because that's the kind of... He says you can't see him. I mean, if you could see him, he would be like light. But if you're a human looking with human eyes, you're not going to see him because he's not visible to you. Now, this is a little tiny boy just throwing this stuff out. <laughs> Where is he getting this? He's explaining this to his mom. Because she asked him, and she thought, this is so amazing. What is he talking Where is he getting this stuff? So she filmed it. <laughs> so, anyway, and, and the kid, you know, I, I hope he stays as intuitive as he seems to be right now. But I hope they don't send him to public school. Anyway, but if they do, be thankful for it. <laughs> so, Redeemed from the hands of the enemy. How do you get redeemed from the hands of the enemy? You can do it like the Parthians that I talked about this morning who learned to ride their horses and shoot their bows. And then when their horses circle around and are leaving, they can, they can flip around on their horse and fire the arrows just one after another. Just seconds between, not even seconds, almost by the second they're firing arrows on their horse going Riding it backwards, away from the enemy. So the enemy just gets showered with arrows as if there's three times as many, four times as many bowmen as you thought before. And they can change the angle at which the arrows are coming. And change it rapidly. See, when you see all those arrows coming from archers that are usually behind the lines because they're on foot, the arrows all come over and they're coming from one direction. So you just put up your shield and hopefully stop the arrows. Didn't work with the Parthians. They could they could shoot those arrows from every different direction. The directions could be coming arrows coming in from everywhere. And uh, of course they're going to run out of arrows shooting them so fast. But that's okay because they got thousands of or at least hundreds of camels with other arrows loaded onto them. Six hundred pounds of arrows per camel. So they're going to get ammunition and reload quickly. <laughs> And so half as many men can seem like twice as many men. So anyway, what if your arrows are invisible like God, but have the same effect as a fiery arrow? The enemy will turn and flee before he even gets to attack you. And he doesn't know why. He'll be overcome with fear. All of his darkest fears, there was some movie or maybe it was one of the Star Treks or something where the guy had the ability to, well, they did it in 1984, the book 1984. They found out what your greatest fear was and they used that fear to break you down. Well, that's what Christ did when he he was writing it on the ground and the dust on the ground when they wanted to stone the woman. Everybody saw something different. This is what most people don't realize. They saw their sins written on the ground. They saw what what Christ was actually projecting with his love for them. That that what they most feared became visible to them as he released that love in their direction. To other people who touched his garment, they were healed because they were willing to receive 
that virtue that he was radiating, radiating out in every direction, which takes us back to the lamp on the lampstand, not in a bushel basket. That power of God could have stopped the crucifixion any time. But he's showing you that, no, you even be thankful for that. So, this, this is, you know, I'm, I'm giving you kind of stories and relating some of the reality of this. Now you can interpret it in your own life. Are you thankful for everything that is burdening you? Now you can't do this as a gimmick. This is why Jesus talked to you in parables. And, but I'm referring to the actual mechanism. Why it's so important to forgive? Because if you for, if you don't forgive, you quench the spirit. Because you you're, you won't be forgiven, and therefore you won't be given too. There's thanksgiving on both sides of the street. You have to be thanksgiving to others so that God can be thanksgiving to you. So that His fuel, His spirit, His utility, His power can come through you. You don't have the power over His power. But you can be a conduit for that power. So he says, He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, from every direction. 107. Oh, give thanks. Yada is, it's, it's that word that throw, shoot, cast, to shoot an arrow. And when it, when it says cast, that's like a slingshot. You know, they could kill, you know, David was killing lions with his slingshot. That, that's what he was doing is casting yada. And so, 107, I oh give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. That another one is Lamentations. I have that in there, which is Lamentation three twenty two to twenty four and twenty two starts. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. Now, who else was concerned with being consumed by the presence of the Lord? Well, Moses. He wanted to see the Lord, and the Lord said, no, you can't even look on me. You know, the, this Yahweh, who was in this pillar of fire, says, you can't even look on me. But if you get in the crevice, I'll walk by, and you can see me as I, I pass by. But if you see all of me, you can't even look on me. And, of course, eventually, Moses got to the point where he showed a light actually coming out of his face. So much so that they had to put a cloth over his face because people couldn't look at him. They, they, they couldn't look at him. Of course, another person who had, had as much light as Moses could look at Moses, but there wasn't very many of those. <laughs> so, so the reality is that there, there's a power here. Now you can say, oh, I don't believe any of that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to believe any of that. But I've seen the instantaneous healings. I've seen the enemy cower, bow down, run away, freeze in place at the power that isn't in me, but it's in the Holy Spirit. So I'm just telling you, that's my witness. I'm sticking to it. 
but you have to decide for yourself. Uh, but this is how it works. So, like I said, we'll talk about things in this show that we won't talk about in others. So, anyway, but this is, this is why you have to be thankful. Cause, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are anxious, they're bipolar, they have depression problems, and, and the government will buy you drugs. And they will pay for your drugs to drug you. But the government of God will heal you. But you have to be thankful for what, what you're facing. I know somebody whose kidneys are fail, failing now because he has these pains. He has these pains and headaches. And, uh, you know, he, he can't, of course he doesn't eat right. But he also harbors a great deal of anger and violence. And he, and he wants to, uh, He's always talking about vengeance against, you know, the wicked and the evil. He's an ex-cop. Not that all ex-cops have to have this anger and vengeance in their heart, but this guy does. But if he were to forgive all those people, including those that spitefully used him, he probably wouldn't have all those headaches. And he wouldn't have to take all that medication. And he wouldn't be having kidney failure. But, you know, will he hear that? You know, I don't have to explain it to him. I can stand next to him and he will get that message if he's willing to receive it. Just like the woman didn't have to talk to Jesus. She just had to touch the hem of his garment. And like I've said many times, she wouldn't even have had to touch the hem of his garment if she believed that I just have to get within five feet of him. Or within the three foot social distancing mark. <laughs> so, and that the same spirit could arc over to her at three feet, at five feet, at ten feet. I mean, look at the, the Roman centurion. You don't even have to come to my house. Right from here, you can heal my servant. You don't even have to come. He knows. He, he believed that. And it happened. The woman believed she had to touch the hem of his garment, which is fine. That's the way she approached it. But I'm saying it really doesn't make any difference. What you have to do is be willing to receive the Holy Spirit. So, again, back to uh, lamentations. Lamentations. It is of Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. See, if you call upon the Lord, some of that light's got to pass through you to protect you. But if you're fleeing the tree of life, if you're fleeing the knowledge that comes with the Holy Spirit, you quench the Spirit. And not as much Spirit can flow through you. And so therefore, not as many arrows can pass from your Parthenian bow. <laughs> So, the reality is that this is why it's a journey. Where you have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So, this compassion is, it's constantly flowing from God. But we're not constantly tapping into it. 
is shining in every direction, but which it will expose every corner of our own hearts. There's no shadows in your heart that can hide from the light of Christ when you let that light in. But when you let that light in, you're going to see your own error. You're going to see your lack of righteousness. You're going to realize you're not God. That you can't make it happen out of your will. Because you have to submit to the will of the Lord. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. It's not me. It's not my power. It's thine. And like I said, it can heal the sick. It can be like burning arrows or hot coals to the evil. We're not judging the evil. We're, it's not like God's going to give us a lightsaber and you go make sure you only kill bad guys. <laughs> no. It's a power that is flowing through you if you let it and don't quench the spirit. Anxiety will quench the spirit, which is why Matthew is talking so much about fear not. Why Jesus is talking about, you know, trying to get us to the point where we're not anxious about tomorrow, today, to whatever. Our hunger, we're, we're trusting in God. Because then that infinite source of mercy can come through us. And it, hopefully it will heal us and heal others who are receptive to it, but it will also drive away the enemies who are against God. So Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So what does it mean to be careful? Okay, it's translated, take thought, care, be careful, oh, only twice be careful, have care. It says to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, to care for, long out for a thing, to seek to promote one's interest, caring of or providing for. So that's the definition. We go back to, what was that? Philippians. Be careful for nothing. Oh, okay. So that makes absolute sense. Be anxious for nothing. That's the word you want to see there. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. <laughs> be happy. Back to the Beatitudes. Be happy. So if you're not anxious for anything, if you're happy for everything, that's what he's saying again. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And of course that thanksgiving is again Eucharistia. Uh, from Eucharistos, uh, which is the adjective. So, yeah, the uh, Eucharista is the noun. That's what they're saying. It's, again, be anxious for nothing. Be thankful for everything. Let your request be made known unto God. It's a request, but known unto God. And part of that request is is for you to even hear it coming out of you. What are you requesting? Is this a selfish request or is this, it's always the prayers for others that is more productive. Because our, again, our prayer is thy will be done. 
And he goes on in verse 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. So, yeah, I looked up that word peace. And that is the state of national tranquility. We talked about that before. Because that, that word appears in several different forms. But, again, why is he saying national tranquility? Well, it's the same reason. is because the kingdom of God is another nation. It's a peculiar people, a peculiar nation. But it's it's peace. You know, the people were having... When they persecuted real Christians, there was a problem. And they, this white Trajan was saying, leave the Christians alone because the problem was coming back on them. And of course, it's really, it brought down the Roman Empire because they became more and more blind to the truth as they tried to persecute those who spoke the truth. They were worried about the, you know, uh, the arrows of the Parthians. But it was the arrows of real Christians who were thankful for whatever came their way that brought down the Roman Empire. Because it created a conflict they, they didn't know how to deal with, they couldn't deal with. A conflict in their own minds. And and they had to flee more and more into the darkness. And of course, those that dwell in the darkness want your destruction. Which is is the fact that we're not real Christians. All the churches are not real Christians is why the New World Order and the Great Reset has power. Even the, the Catholics that are against the Great Reset and against the Pope and things, the Popes, the Communists, I can't what they call them, the Remnant. Remnant Catholics or remnant Christians or something, remnant church. They they don't get it. They're still they're steeped in some of the old rituals of the Catholic Church. But you want you don't want to go back to Constantine. You want to go back to Christ. What was Christ really saying? And that's where we're showing you all kinds of things that Christ was really saying. What he really meant. And he was in conformity with Moses. And so then you also may need to know what Moses really meant or what David really meant, who said their table is a, that should have been for their welfare was a snare. David said that in Psalms. Psalms 95, uh, verse 2, he says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms, which of course is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, which is not about singing. It's about harmony with the Holy Spirit. But the thanksgiving he's talking about there is the Toda, which is Yada with the Tav at the beginning. And it's defined as confession or praise or thanksgiving. But we know it comes from the word Yada, which means to sling arrows. To shoot arrows at your enemy. But it doesn't mean real arrows. It means spiritual arrows that protects you and saves you. Colossians 3.16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What does it sound like when you're singing in your hearts? What tune can you write that sheet music down when you're singing in your hearts? Because when he says singing in your hearts, he's talking about the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. The Song of Moses was all your offerings had to be free will offerings. You couldn't covet your neighbor's goods. You couldn't try to exercise authority one over the other in order to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You couldn't do any of that. If you're doing that, you're out of tune with the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. And you won't have the power to cast the slings and arrows of truth at your enemy. They will laugh at you. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks. And again, that giving thanks is that Eucharistio, which is the verb of to be thankful, to feel that thanks to God the Father by him for whatever he sends your way. Now, I could say that really easy, but it's not going to be really easy. It's going to be hard. At the end of six, I had several questions there, and I may add more questions, but why is Corbin, meaning sacrifice, translated treasury? Because their Corbin was filling a treasury. Our Corbin, the Corbin of Christ, it doesn't fill a treasury. It, it keeps the treasury in the pockets of every man who comes together in the spirit of Christ. And then I asked, what are the graven images? That was a bank as a the reserve fund. And the temples, which provided a social safety net through means and methods contrary to Moses and Christ and out of tune with the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. How do you invest in the kingdom of God? By loving one another. Because that love of Christ, that love that is that laying down of your life, that love of sacrifice, free will sacrifice, it requires, it's a skill. It requires practice to learn. Just like covetous practices bring you into bondage, the, the opposite of covetous practices which is a laying down of your life practices, sacrificing practices, will bring you closer to the kingdom and, and, and set the captive free. Why did Israel create the golden calf? Because they were trying to bind the people together so they were dependent upon this central bank, this central depository, this central reserve fund. So what's the difference between praying to our Father who art in heaven and praying to our Father who art in Washington, D.C. or London or Ontario, Canada or wherever they're at? Well, one, you're praying for the rewards of unrighteousness at the expense of your neighbor and the other one, you're praying to God and His righteousness for the same benefits. 
So anyway, we can go on to uh, Matthew 7. I do have a hand raised. Uh, let's take that caller. It's 5580 number. Hello, caller 5580. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I I can. I know who this is. <laughs> this is Stephen. Yeah. From Colorado. So, what's your question? Okay, so there's a question that I've had that I've had for a while, but I don't know if I can understand. I I seem to understand it by my actions and the the way I live, but I I don't know if I could explain it to people. And the thing is this: is that is if you're in the world. And you decide that you want to, you know, you, you, it's not that you decide, but it's, you know, you start to see the truth and you, you walk towards the kingdom and you want it to, and you start to practice the ways of the kingdom, but you're not taking benefit for the world and, um, and you're getting closer and closer to trying to learn and do whatever you have to do that you think that the Lord is asking you, what do you what do you call that? Because I, I run into so many people that have this situation, and they're they're actually afraid to make that step because they don't really know. It's like a it's like a lake or an ocean that they have to cross, and and they don't they're not sure. And, and I I have a little bit of trouble explaining that. Um, I I could tell them how I did things and how the Holy Ghost convicts me, but. Is there like a name for the period where someone is leaving the world and seeking the kingdom and slowly uh, starting to understand? Is there like a process to, to explain to somebody about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm ter- uh, I'll try to answer that. I was turning your sound up so that we could get a good recording. But uh, I have to turn it down or else I'll be blaring people out. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, my sound levels have equalized. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a particular name. I mean, we, we see this phrase, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's pretty much the description. But, uh, the order in which you do things ultimately is going to be designed by the Holy Spirit specifically to fit your needs. And of course, we see these, the same question coming up. With John the Baptist and the soldiers. The soldiers are under oath of office. I've explained that if they're Roman centurions, and this is often the case with even the, uh, uh, the soldiers of Judea. Uh, who, for there was a large group of soldiers in Judea that did not like Jesus Christ. And there were probably a large number of soldiers in Rome that did not like Jesus Christ or Christians. It's very clear that some soldiers did like him. And did like what, but they were bound under their oath, uh, for a period of time. And like, you know, a ro- average Roman centurion had a 20 year obligation. You didn't sign up for three years. You signed up for 20 years. Officers were 18 years. And until they finished that obligation, they couldn't just rescind the oath. That they were bound under. The same as people can't just come out of the system today. We are surety for debt. Now there is a way out of the system, but really the, the only way out right at this moment, and like I say, things are changing on the minister group. We had somebody pointing out 
that one of the fundamental processes set in motion way back, uh, you know, uh, I went back to the Magna Carta, it was 1400s, but in the 1500s, and it probably existed before the 1500s, there was this idea of discovery. And if you discovered a new land that was not occupied by Christians, the Pope said that you could put a claim on that land. And that's been cited in courts for years and years and years. Uh, in, in British courts, in American courts, French courts, all of them have cited that. Well, the Pope recently rescinded that. He, he rescinded that doctrine as if it no longer exists. And there was evidently some coercion in this process, which may nullify even that rescission. But some people think this is going to create a card house. And all, because that's the foundation of most of the doctrines of controlling the people of these nations. But ultimately where the control comes in is the same way that I've, I constantly point out, same way that Plutarch pointed out, same way that Polybius po- pointed out, is they offer you or your parents or your grandparents benefits that are provided by borrowing money and people go along with it. You know, when you're eight years old, you know, you can't make those decisions. Of course, now they, they want to lower the age of consent. Now, you know, the sexual predators want to lower the age of the consent because they want to have uh, inter- relations with younger and younger children. <laughs> but uh, others want to lower the age of consent because then if they claim that that is the age of consent and you're still taking the benefits that brings you in and now you become a surety for debt even because they're going to break their own laws eventually but their power comes from the fact that God is a God of law but God's plan is laying out a way to get around their plan and they can't remove you know they can't you know, they can kind of change the walls in the maze, but they have to leave you a way out. And, of course, there was a way out at the time of the when they created the Walden camp and Moses came up. He called out who was on the Lord's side. Well, they hadn't created the debt yet. This, this has only been going on for a matter of days. So they were able to bring people out right there in the instance. But when he went in to bring the people out of the bondage of Egypt... He couldn't do that in a day. And there's a good reason why. There's some technical reasons why. They still had to pay their tally of bricks. But they had to start getting their benefits from someplace else. And this is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. And what Jesus Christ was doing. Now John the Baptist was telling people don't sign up. But create another system. And a lot of people hadn't signed up. And I can take you to countries where there are maybe a third of the people in that country, certainly 20% of the people in that country, that aren't signed up for the welfare system, the social safety net, the the table that is a snare that David talks about and Paul talks about. They're not signed up. I mean, you can go to Romania, you can go to Bulgaria, you can find them, you can go to countries, you know, in South America. There's lots of people. In America, not so many. They're signed up. They're surety for debt, and certainly debt is involved. There is a way to come out, but you have to come out like a Levite. 
Because when the Levites were leaving the Walden camp, they didn't get to go withdraw their gold that is in that statue. They had to walk away from that in order to cross over to Moses and be a part of what Moses... Moses gave them a place to gather because Moses wasn't a part of that system either. And again, like I said, the, the system wasn't entrenched in debt yet. But so the process is a matter of seeking. The order in which you seek, if we look at through history, is to create the social welfare system that does not operate by force. To start re-strengthening the bonds of that social welfare system. And like I said this morning, it doesn't say jump into the kingdom. It says seek the kingdom. Now, when the Levites came out, and it was mostly Levites, it wasn't all Levites, there were other people who came out too, but most of them were Levites. When they came out, they were literally jumping across this precipice, precipice between a, a, a state of bondage, because they were returning to the bondage of Egypt. And they weren't necessarily going to march back into Egypt, though some people interpret the translation that way. But they were going back into Egypt because they were going back into that type of system. We went into that system. We were on our, we were approaching that system back with, uh, some of the er other earlier presidents all the way back in, in 1854 where they were starting to implement public education supported at least in part by tax dollars. They were on their way back. It got worse and worse and worse by 1910. They were still Many schools that were built were built mostly by uh, free will offerings with just some tax advantages. But now the schools are entirely supported by taxation. So that was a process to get us to that point. And, and welfare, Medicaid, Social Security, all these things were steps away from the kingdom into the kingdoms of the world. Now... Matthew is starting to talk about going back. And, and he's setting the precedent. For one thing, don't be anxious. You know, you don't start off with the argument, you don't want to take any benefits from government. You want to start off with the uh, argument that you want to care about your neighbor. You want to create a network of love. That If you just say that you have to stop taking all benefits, they're just going to hate you. Because... because Fear and hate are the same emotion. And what you just explained to them is going to instill in them fear. Because, I mean, it's like, you know, only Peter stepped out of the boat. Jesus said, you know, he's walking on water and he's, only one guy is willing to step out of the boat. And they were too afraid to step out of the boat. So you don't start off with that. And of course, Jesus didn't start off with that. He said, just follow me. Just start gathering together and take care of one another. And so creating groups, congregations, that are actually doing charity in the community. Because we're going to see more and more opportunities as the system fails. The unrighteous mammon fails. And we see that process now. It can't keep up with inflation. They just close these homes here in Lake County. And these long-term care homes, because they, the, 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 they were so expensive to run that they said, 
even with all the government benefits, we can't run them. All, all the Medicare, Medicaid payments, Social Security payments, we can't run them. We need more money than the government wants us. So they just closed them. And the service is gone. You're going to see more and more of that all across the land. And, and so you have to say, well, maybe we can do something ourselves. And, and you start creating that alternative system rather than telling people to get out. You can you can tell them that this system is going to fail, and a lot of people will see that, and then they won't. It's not you're making it fail. Uh, you know, Biden is making it fail, or the Democrats are making it fail, or but reality is it was doomed to begin with. It was created to fail. You don't have to start with that argument. But they can see it failing and you can say, well, you can shake your fist at Biden or you can do something about it. Most people want to shake their fist at Biden or, or the Democrats or, or the, you know, Antifa or whoever it is. They have a, a long list of people you can hate. But we have to forgive all those people and seek this kingdom. And, uh, I don't usually tell people, but we are on the afternoon show. The Levites came out to be the ministers, the firstborn of a system that operated by faith, hope, and charity. They were going to be the priests of that system. Now, they, they're, they're appointed priests of that system by Moses. But everybody who was gathering, these people are already outside of the, the welfare system of Egypt. They spent some time in Egypt learning to take care of one another without the system of Levites. But they had a system of priests. We know that Aaron knew the arts of the temple, so he was probably a priest already. But they weren't going to get any payments from the government to take care of Israelites. So they were, they simply started doing it themselves. And they had to do it hand to mouth because they didn't have any treasuries to put stuff in. But they were, in, in Philos, they were filling each other's water vases in their homes. They probably were doing the same with grains. That instead of having these big silos of depositories with the temple of Egypt, Everybody in their own house was putting up reserves. And, and, you know, they were paying their tally of bricks, but then they were fasting from consuming everything from year to year because they knew they couldn't depend on Pharaoh. So this is part of that process. We can see that. You know, people will tell you, you go on Facebook and there's people saying, well, it's not that food's going to get expensive. It's not going to be available. Now that could create a certain amount of fear, but you, you have, you have to alleviate that fear with the lack of fear in your own heart. But I wouldn't lead with get out of the system. Because to most people that's too scary. You can have those conversations one on one, but I, it's, it's basically seeking this other, this Republican, truly Republican form of government, not like the Republican Party. But like the Libra Respublica, like the, the, the viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, which is what the church was, 
So it's, and worst case scenario is that you have, you're gathering with people who actually are thankful for the opportunity of helping you or helping one another. They're looking for an opportunity to help one another. Well, even if the system doesn't collapse, that's a, that's a good thing to happen. Just had a, a family, I think they have like 10 kids. And I mentioned it, that they were rear-ended in a traffic accident by a drunk driver. And the wife was hurt really bad, broke a bone in her lower pelvis or somewhere. And and uh, she was driving. And uh, But the kids were pretty well off. Uh, considering they were shook up a bit. But she's going to take some time recovering. Now, they're probably going to depend upon government benefits. They're all homeschoolers. Uh, I can't remember what church for sure that they belong to, but it, uh, actually, I think I know, but I, it doesn't really matter. They may depend upon their church a little bit. But I'm saying uh, that that the that we have this whole other system that Christ was preaching and that we have to start going over to that. But, you know, Jesus warns us actually in Matthew about telling people too much. It's overwhelming. and But it's about seeking to love one another and to do it in an organized fashion. I think the more we can do this, you know, I I don't know if we'll take over those homes. It's a monumental task and there's a lot of people dragging their feet. But I figure I'm thankful for whatever God sends our way. You know, if they're dragging their feet, I could get all upset about that. But then I could say, well, maybe God wants them to drag their feet <laughs> until we're ready to make that move. It's not like I don't have anything else to do. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. There is no particular name, but it's a, it's a process of seeking to create what used to. This way, I tell you, this way America did everything. All social welfare was through independent free charity. All hospitals were built by charity. Uh, that some of them were built through churches, but some of them were just built through uh unincorporated associations or maybe even incorporated associations but with the critical ingredient was it was through free will offerings and and some of the period of time that I'm talking about where they were doing this where they would create a corporation and do this or an unincorporated association mostly associations corporations didn't have the state of a person yet that didn't come along till the 14th Amendment, where corporations got this position of of a person. And of course, now what we have in America, we don't have capitalism. We have corporatism. And corporatism is a form of fascism. And we've had that since 1913. Because they, well, in essence, it certainly began in 1913. And today, we're, we've gone a hundred years down and plus down the road to corporatism, which is the antithesis of capitalism. But the problem is, is that in the hearts of the people, they, they've become accustomed to 
covetous practices. They think it's justified. I am crashing into their delusion every time we have a radio broadcast. Every time somebody listens to our recordings, because we're, I know full well that this is attacking the delusion that they're already Christians, because they said they love Jesus. They don't love the doctrines of Jesus. They're not taught the doctrines of Jesus. They're taught something of the doctrines, but not the whole truth of the doctrines. And so this, now I come along and I say, well, you know, what about this? When Jesus says you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Isn't that what FDR did? Isn't that what LBJ did? Isn't that what Biden is doing? Most people are going to say, well, I want my student loans paid off. I, 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 the government has to take care of my parents. I can't afford to do it. Well, the only way that we're going to show people that they can, as a matter of fact, they cannot afford not to do it. They don't know that yet. But that's why I'm giving people all these different pieces of the puzzle. The only one, only 5% of the Roman Empire became Christian. That's, that's a statistic that is well supported, although it may not be 100% accurate. It is certainly accurate that it was not a large percentage. Now, when Constantine created his form of Christianity, the whole city of Milan had to get baptized. They didn't have to repent. They just got baptized. And then it becomes cloudy as to who was a Christian and who was not a Christian. Well, to most people, not to me, it's pretty clear. If you're, if you're depending on men who exercise authority to give you benefits, or to, to, you know, uh, subsidize the benefits you get from the church. And see, that's what Constantine was doing. He was funding the church established by Constantine with tax dollars. But today, every church I know of just about funds is funded by tax dollars. They may not get a check from the government, but all the people that are coming to their congregational meetings or their church meetings, you know, they're all getting, you know, if you take any church, just about anywhere except for maybe some of the Amish communities, and you say, okay, you got a hundred people in this church. How many are on Social Security? How many are on Medicare? How, how many are on Medicaid? How many send their kids to public school? How, how many people are you know, whatever. Depending on, you know, disability checks, etc. You add up all that money. And then you add up what's coming from the church. If it's 50% coming from the government, you know that's an apostate church. You know that if 49% is coming from the government and the other 51% is coming from the church, well, now my only question is, can we increase the distance of those two numbers <laughs> so that it's 52% coming from the church? And that's the process. But until 51% is coming from the church, you're nowhere near the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you're not ready to start repenting. I tell the story of a church in North Carolina. I think it was North Carolina. Either that or South Carolina. It's one of the Carolinas. 
And they had one guy who was in debt. Everybody's in debt. They bought a house. He was in debt, but he's making good money and making payments. And he lost his job. And just downsizing, somebody bought the company and he, he got booted. So he's trying to get another job. He got another job, but he didn't pay as much. Well, he was locked into payments. Now, he could have tightened his belt more, sold his house quickly or whatever. I don't know what he could have done at that particular time. But he was struggling to make ends meet. And some of the people in his church discovered that he was depending on his credit cards. And so they got together with him. And at first they got together with each other. They took up a collection and they paid off his credit card debt. Now he was there when they did it. And they agreed that he had to cut his credit cards. He was doing better in his job, but he was going to have to meet his mortgage payments. And, you know, he was paying a ridiculous interest because he had put this on credit cards. And now they saved that that money that he was shelling out in credit card interest, which was like 18, 19, 20%. I don't know what it was. Now he was saving that and he could get his act back together now that he had another job and was making money and everything. And his wife had gone to work and all this stuff. But now they they said that felt so good, they got together and they started looking for other people that were drowning in credit card debt. And they would have a ceremony where they would pay the debt off, the free will offerings from the people in the congregation. This is a black church for the most part, Baptist church. And then they would cut up credit cards every every minister with that, another thing in that particular church is they had lots of deacons so everything wasn't falling on the minister so the, the, they had guys counseling them to stay out of debt how to stay out of debt and how to reorganize their finances so that they would stay out of debt and they were helping them and they said we've got all eventually they had within a few years they had almost all credit card debt had almost everybody in their congregation paid off and not going into credit card debt. And so the news person was asking them who was reporting on this story. So as donations to the church decreased while you were taking up these collections to pay off all this debt. And he said, no, they increased the donations to the church. And she said, why would that be? They're spending all this money paying off all this debt. He said, because, because the people had less expenses. They weren't paying off 10, 20% interest rate. Their finances were better. They felt more generous. They felt more uh, privileged to be a part of the church. They they cared more about the other members and they wanted to give back. So the donations to the church actually increased. He said that it increased so much, we're thinking about paying off all their mortgages. So they don't have mortgage debt. Now with the mortgage debt, you're actually paying off and the the individual will be enriched by an asset. And so that's not really, that's not feasible in a charity. There will be legal consequences. But I can tell you how you could do it. Is you create a credit union that isn't allowed to make a profit off of the loans that it makes. It can only pay expenses. 
And then that credit union goes and pays off every loan to everybody in the church with the capital that they have. They reinstitute another loan when they pay off their loans with the banks. So now they can give them a lower rate of interest, decrease the the burden of the interest rate. They can actually forgive debt too. They can they can look out say they have a hundred loans out that they've bought from the bank by paying off the bank loan and now the people owe the credit union but they owe less because they're not under as heavy an interest. But now you say okay this guy had you know got hit by a meteorite or rear-ended by a drunk driver he's not going to be able to make these payments. The therefore the you know, the bank's going to just heap on all kinds of fines and interest payments on that. Credit union doesn't have to do that. The bank can't do anything but that because they have a fiduciary responsibility because they're a for-profit business, but a credit union is a charity. So they can actually waive interest. We're not going to, we're not going to charge you interest until you get back on your feet. And we, they could even, you know, if they accidentally make some profit, now they have, they have to keep their books. If they accidentally make a profit, because they kept their expenses down, you know, they can actually take the surplus and give it back to the people. Now they don't give them direct cash, they just pay off part of their loan. And they would have the discretion if it was a His Church Credit Union, they would have the discretion to look at those debts and, and look at the individual and say, this guy is really trying, he's working hard, he shows up at every congregation meeting, he tries to help everybody out, but he's had some bad luck or or or, or injuries from something or whatever. And we have this surplus, because now you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people. We have this surplus that came in, we can't keep it, a credit union has seven members of the board, just like the seven that, that, that Peter allowed the people to pick. You look out amongst yourself, you find men that you trust, we'll put them over this table. Well, the same word for table there in the text is the word for bank, which is what he was doing is creating like a credit union. And so they could move funds around, help people out, and uh because there was debt that people were having, we could do that today and that would help us get closer and closer to the kingdom. But I only want to do that with people that are sitting down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and actually learning what it means to care about one another. Because that's more important than getting out of the system. And the more you get like that, the more that Thanksgiving spirit is operating in you, the more likely they are going to say what Pharaoh said, get out of town. And not only that, you will have a place to go because you'll have a network all over the country. You have church property all over the country that you could move on to until you can get yourself situated. But that's what that's the process. The process of learning to care about others as much as you care about yourself. If you don't learn that, you're not following Christ. 
if you follow Christ, the love you manifest without you even thinking about it will make a regular banker tremble. <laughs> he will get nervous and shaky when you walk in <laughs> the bank. But if you have that spirit and you walk into a His Church Credit Union, you'll be embraced with open arms. But the goal is to set the captives free, not to bring people back into bondage. So there's, there's, there's all kinds of things we could do. Like I said, if, if we were to take over these uh, assisted living places and uh, long-term care places uh, that are sitting there empty because the government has squandered their money and don't have money to keep them open uh, because they fell for the COVID nonsense, uh, they fell hook, line, and say, they're still they're still not willing to admit in the conversation we had with the director. Uh, he still thinks, oh, that was just terrible. Oh, yeah, we had to do all kinds of things uh, to save people and save lives. No, you caused the death of people. Yeah, I mean, they were handing out remdesivir like candy, getting paid a lot of money to do it. But uh, no, they were not helping people at all. They don't see that yet. But I tell you, if we started to use their facilities to take care of the needy, it would not be long before they wanted to get rid of us, even though we were doing something with something they couldn't afford to do with. But if we were to do that, just to give everybody a heads up, we have to do it without Medicare Medicaid. Now, we can apply to all the other churches. You want to help us out? And, you know, that conversation that we have with their ministers it's going to be a separation of the goats and the sheep. But there is no vocab. This is why Paul was making up so many words. Is there is no vocabulary for the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of the worlds. There is no name for it. But I gave you a couple of little stories and scenarios so that you can, you can see the possibilities. But yeah, the only way they're going to understand what we're talking about is revelation. And revelation comes with the Holy Spirit. And the, and we can do an awful lot of things to quench that Holy Spirit, which is this this question, or at least I'm fitting it right into what we've just been talking about, is that anxiety quenches the Holy Spirit. And if you come on with preaching the gospel about getting out of the system, you're going to create anxiety and fear in them. And and that's going to quench the Holy Spirit in them. We don't want to feed their fear. And, and so this is one of the reasons why I pointed out in this morning's show and in the previous show that Matthew, he, he thought he was doing a good thing and, and maybe he was. It's just the way Matthew did it. And he's right. he wasn't writing to me. He wasn't writing to you. He was writing to other people who already had a, a Probably a clearer picture of the gospel than your average Christian does today. But he put things out of order. Because that's not the order in which Christ was preaching things. But uh, it's the order we have in Matthew. And we can look at the other gospels. John's quite a bit different. 
But one of the big problems is that people are always reading the epistles and creating most of their doctrines with the epistles of Paul. Paul already preached the gospel. Now he was cleaning up the errors that people were making when they were thinking that, well, we can still eat at their tables. Well, Jesus, you know, Jesus said early on, or early enough on, that you cannot serve... And he didn't talk about eating at the table. He talked about serving God and mammon. Now, if you go to the Aramaic, he knew, people knew exactly what he was talking about. The average Christian has no idea what mammon is. You know, they're thinking, well, wanting to have money is mammon. Desire to have money. Well, desire to have money is, you know, like I want to buy a ranch. And I, I, I want to buy a farm to produce food so that people don't starve. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to buy land so that you can save yourself with no care for anybody else, well, there's something wrong with that. You're going to be quenching the Holy Spirit. And there will be things that you will not see. Because, you know, if you want to see more, you have to be willing to lay down your life for your fellow man. And, uh, and people who are, who just automatically go out of their way to help other people and, and when you try to pay them, they say, oh, no, you don't need to give me anything. Uh, I just did it because I wanted to help you. Well, that's kingdom. But that's not, you know, that's a, it's a process everlasting process to get to that point and stay in that point. So anyway, uh, did I answer your question? Or do you have more that you want to ask another question? You're still there? Yeah, I'm still here. No, you you did answer my question. Uh, the only thing else is um, you spoke about the eclipse and you said you might answer that in the next show. So I was just uh, just reminding you about that one. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you, you have to give me a particular question about the eclipse. Uh, my daughter was out. She photographed it. She's sharing some of the... She was out with telescopes and filters and all this stuff with a bunch of exchange students from Italy, Brazil, Taiwan. I don't know who, where they all... They're from... There's at least three from Oriental countries, uh, Italian, Brazil, Spain... And she was showing them eclipse. She has big telescopes that she sets up. But anyway, uh, yeah, eclipses often mark certain points in time. And uh, they also uh, were moving into a period of time where we may see more earthquakes. We're certainly seeing more wars. <laughs> but this was uh, pretty much a total eclipse. You know, there was a certain distance of the moon and the sun. And it was centered pretty much on where we're at. So this may mark something in time. But what it marks, I don't know yet. Uh, but see, that's one of the things when you're working for God, you don't need to know everything because the kingdom of God is in the moment. I know that some of these events mark times and they have been important things in my own life and history. But, and, and I know that things, uh, shift as things, cause the same God that made me and made this earth and made the mountains around about me also made the sun and the moon and the stars. <laughs> 
So they all are connected, but if you start looking at astronomy or astrology even, in order to figure out what's going to happen next, that takes your eyes off the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, these things do mark points in time, but where that's going to go, we'll just have to see. I forgot to turn my sound down, but I think I'm okay. But anyway, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I don't know really what to say unless, I know that, uh, it tells you in the Bible that, uh, out of Jesus' own words, look for signs in basically the, the sun and the moon and the stars, uh, because there are signs there. And of course, all the planets are heating up. And it's not because people drive SUVs. Uh, and it has nothing to do with global warming. But it has to do that we're entering another phase in the history of man on earth. So now is a good time to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. <laughs> so that you will be better prepared. Because you're going to need to have the Holy Spirit guide you through the maze that God is going to put before you. And there is no trick to it. It's, I mean, it's all simple. Basic what Christ is saying is that you have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. Somebody's listening to me somewhere. I I can sense it. I don't know who it is. Maybe somebody has another question. Well, I'll let you go, Steve. Great to hear from you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, give my best to your other half. Uh, and, and and your other little one. <laughs> God bless. Right, thank you. You you bet. So anyway, if there's another question, uh, give it to my wife. Warned me that I may not be able to go all the way through. We've already got uh, two hours in. Uh, I was losing my voice this morning. Uh, we've been going up on the mountaintop. We we put in a. Uh, uh, unidirectional antenna, I guess it's unidirectional, multidirectional antenna up on the mountain that the church owns next to us, the Butte. And, uh, we can communicate. Well, we, we haven't put up the other receiver on the other side, but we are connected up there. And so it's a lot of hikes up onto the top of the mountain because you can't drive there and, uh, putting in antennas and Drilling holes in solid rock and uh, solar panels to power it. But we're setting up a communication that will reach out. We don't know how many miles it will reach out across the valley. But we're setting that up so that we can stay in communication. There's a lot of other things that are going on behind the scenes here. I mentioned a little bit going on behind the scenes in the rest of the world. Like somebody... Uh, the person who was informing one of our ministers as to the uh, rescinding of the Pope's doctrine of discovery, which you can go look that up, is undermining the doctrines of uh, colonization and uh, authority over a piece of ground. The guy who was revealing this originally, he thinks that this is going to be a way in which we can get our freedom back. It it wasn't anybody coerced the Pope into rescinding that doctrine so that you could get your freedom back. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. It was coercion, I, I can tell you, 
just from my heart that it was coercion by people like the Great Reset, the Klaus Schwab's. There's been a war going on with the the power of the Catholic Church for quite a while. I mean, the Protestants don't have a clue about this war. But, I mean, who is the father of the European Union? It's the Pope. He's got a plaque from the European Union that says he's the father of the European Union. And he brought about the European Union working behind the scenes. Well, that didn't just begin with the European Union. You can go back to the Vatican, too, in Vatican I, and uh, go back to Constantine. Once you understand how all these things fit together, you can see this pattern going throughout the ages. And, and there's a precedent to it. And I will have to reserve the, the, the climax... I, I, there is more I could tell about that. But uh, by the time, and it will relate to what happens with the Pope, it will relate to what happens in the United Nations, it will relate to what's happening in the United States, and uh, all around the world. All these things are connected. But eventually something will happen with the Pope, and and the Red Pope. The Pope you see is the White Pope, there's the Red Pope too. Probably also the black pope, but the red popes and all the cardinals. Something will happen to them. And at that moment, things will be up for grabs. And the church established by Christ hopefully will be in place. (laughs) It will depend upon God, not me. And all the chattels and choses in action that are held in trust by the pontiff will revert to the true church established by Christ, which will return it immediately, every man to his family and every man to his possession. But by that time, large portions of the world will be dead. And large portions of the world will be starving. And large portions of the world will be killing each other, like we've just recently seen in... uh, that nation over there with the name of Israel. But our defense will depend upon those arrows that I talked about at the beginning of the show. Which are the, you know, I mean, it's it's just astounding to me. I was just led to this this morning. I I knew about the word Tada and I knew about the word Yada. But I never made the connection until this morning. And all of a sudden I thought like, oh my gosh, I have to look that word up. I looked it up. I haven't put it in yet on the webpage, but I will. The yada, which I knew was normally translated, Thanksgiving. What was the other words that is translated into praise and give thanks and Thanksgiving. And it's interesting that it's also translated confession. It, it's only translated shoot once. <laughs> but it, the definition is to throw, shoot, meaning to shoot, or to cast. And that cast is, the reason they put the word cast there is that when you're shooting in the Israelite slingshot, you're, you're casting. Because you don't actually throw the stone, you're casting it because you have this centrifugal force that's throwing it off. But that's the word that produces, if you add faith, 
it produces the word Thanksgiving in in the Hebrew. In the Greek, we have Eucharista, which or there are several different forms of Eucharista, but that's Thanksgiving. If you 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 know the the Pope is supposedly, according to a prophecy that was sealed by the Pope for years and years and years, and I was aware of it because I knew somebody who lived in the Vatican and was aware of the prophecy, even though it, nobody was supposed to read it but the Pope. And uh, when one of the Popes read it, he passed out. The prophecy is over a hundred years old now. That the Pope was going to be killed by men with machine guns and bows and arrows. And he's walking in a sea of dead bodies when he does this. Now, I don't know if that's going to be true, but that's that's that was the prophecy. They believed it. And that's a critical moment in time because they, the, the warning was that the Roman Catholic Church had to change its ways. Best I can see, most of them haven't. But I know a few Catholics that have gone a Roman. <laughs> a roaming. R-O- <laughs> you know, roaming away from that and are actually seeking the kingdom. But those arrows that are fired at him may kill him. But it's the arrows that Christ can send. And I could tell you stories about that. Some of these stories I cannot even say on the air. But, uh, you know, I, I give you little personal stories and everything. But uh, the the reality is is that you need those defenses. You have no control over those defenses of God. You need his direction to get you through the maze ahead. You, your studying isn't going to tell you where to turn and when to turn, how quick to turn. God isn't going to tell you these things in advance. He's going to tell you in the moment. So you have to walk in that thanksgiving, knowing how to suffer hunger, suffer pain, suffer abundance. And suffer, you know, um, comfort. Because if you get too comfortable, you won't seek the kingdom of God. It's the pain that wakes you up. Very seldom are people woken up by comfort <laughs> and abundance. Those things can do more to stifle the, or quench the spirit than anything else. So that's why you, there's another way of looking at being being thankful for a hard times as well as the good times. Can you do that with the same emotion, with the same compassion, uh, with the same patience? You know, the, the whole thing when we were reading through Matthew that he was talking about, you know, giving of alms. And, and people, you've, you've heard these stories so much that you think that, it, you know, like in fasting, that you don't want to put the grimace on your face to show how much you're suffering and all that kind of stuff. No, you you don't want to do that because you're you're getting social uh, benefit because people think, oh, you're such a sweet guy and you're so sacrificing and so humble. And, and I've seen it. You know, who is it? Uh, 
Jimmy Swaggart. Was it Jimmy Swaggart who got caught in a hotel with a uh, prostitute? And, of course, he was going to lose his online ministry that was worth millions of dollars. Because in those days, that was a bad thing. Uh, now, I think you could be caught in a motel with a male prostitute <laughs> and get away with it. But uh, in those days, that was going to be the end of his career. It wasn't. It really set him back. But he did a whole scene where he was crying and sorry and that the devil attempted. People just accepted him right back. And you could say, well, that's forgiveness. Well, nobody was forgiving the fact that he wasn't actually preaching the gospel. It's through guys like Jimmy Swaggart and all these other guys that brought in this whole idea that, yeah, this is when FDR and, well, at least LBJ and all those guys were rising to power. You know, the Roman church opposed Social Security system. They opposed it. There was a father, a priest, who was in opposition to it. The whole Catholic Church was in opposition to the creating of the Social Security system. Because they understood what it was. But guess what? They made a deal. And and this is in the book by the guy who invented the system. Eleanor Roosevelt made a deal with his priest and he came out in support of it. And then they moved the headquarters of the Social Security Administration to Maryland. This is a matter of historical record. I can't tell you why they suddenly moved it. They had built a building to house the Social Security system that had already built the building. It never was used or occupied by the Social Security system. They moved it to Maryland. And they put it up there. Why? Why? <laughs> well, that's another whole conspiracy in itself. But the the fact is, is that we're not supposed to be coveting our neighbors because the men who exercise authority. We're supposed to be learning to love one another. And unless we're trying to do that and take care of one another without the men who exercise authority, where we no longer want to take a bite out of one another through the rulers of the earth. We don't want to eat at the table of their welfare that makes the word of God to none effect. That is the snare that brings us back into the bondage. All these things are said very clearly in the text. And the priests and the Jimmy Swaggards and the and uh, Franklin Grahams and Billy Grahams don't tell you. And, and the guy was listening to this late last night when I woke up and heard this evangelistic minister talking about, you know, that, oh, oh, I heard somebody on. If you didn't, if you insist upon saying that Jesus was Lord and would not agree to say that Caesar was Lord, they were going to kill you. I'll tell you this story. Uh, and that's what the guy was saying on the little... Well, yes and no. There was a bishop, famous bishop, who was eventually stabbed in the arena on the left side of his chest and and executed because he he would not do. But he was so well loved because he was so charitable because that's what bishops were in charge of the charity where they connected all the individual congregations of ten families so that if... If there was one 
congregation was hit harder than any of the others. He could get funds to them from the other 99 congregations that he might oversee. Of course, it's all through free will offerings. It's nobody's forced to pay in. But he was well loved by everybody in the community because he was always helping people out. He was helping people out that had moral character. He was strengthening the poor. And somebody turned him in and says, well, he's he's not a member of the temple of Rome. And he says, well, we have our own religion, private religion, which was actually still legal. But there was, you know, if he had once been a part of the other system, they might try to prosecute him. But anyway, they, normally you have to go down to the temple and burn incense and make an offering and proclaim Caesar as Lord. You could use the title that he had, which was Son of God, Felis Dei, Son of God. But you had to do that annually. Well, he wasn't doing that. But they didn't want to see him executed. And so they brought a table from the temple to his quarters. Other people brought the donation, the coins that he needed to give, that he was supposed to give to the the, uh, temple. They put it on the table, on his side of the table. All he had to do was push the coins across the table. And there were men there and scribes there ready to record that he pushed them across the table. He didn't have to say anything. He just had to push the coins that somebody else brought across the table that somebody else brought and he would not be executed. He refused to do it. because Even though it's not his money, it's not coming out of his pocket, he wasn't coveting anybody else's goods. But he was given the appearance that that system is okay. That system of forced offerings is okay. And he would not give that appearance. That's a Christian. You tell me what uh, the, all the Jimmy Swaggers and Billy Grahams and all these other guys, which of them are Christians? They not only would do that, they they got everybody else doing it. And they provide no social welfare, virtually none. Oh, they have some mission stuff they do. Because it's a lot easier to feed the poor in impoverished countries. And that's their pretense that somehow or other they're doing. But they send every one of their congregants to the governments of the Gentiles because they don't see the kingdom as a government that exercise authority one over the other. They send them all to them to take care of their parents. The children no longer have to do aught for their parents. To take care of their health care to take care of all the the disabilities. Everything is done through men who exercise authority. They're not preaching the gospel. That's the antithesis of the gospel. That's the opposite of what the doctrines of Jesus Christ are, which we will see as we go through Matthew. And it quenches the Holy Spirit so that all these people are living in darkness. They can't see it. So I don't know if I could invent a term where they could see it. They still wouldn't see it. Because to see it, is a gift from God. It's it's you know I can talk about it. I can be hated for talking about it. 
you can you can talk about it until you live it. You don't release the power of the Holy Spirit in you, and and that's you know one system operates on fervent charity and the other one does not. <laughs> it operates on legal charity, and so going from one to the other is a process, and every every step you take gives you more faith. And and so we all have to take those steps. And that's why we say it's so important that we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And yeah, repent. But I tell you, the more that Holy Spirit grows in you, the more they will want to cast you out. And, and that's just going to go with the territory. But they won't be able to cast you out. They won't be able to kill you. They won't be able to destroy you unless God allows it to happen. And most of the Christians were never physically persecuted. There were some that went to, uh, but there were just as many judges in the Roman Empire. I, don't, I shouldn't say just as many, but there were many judges in the Roman Empire who protected the Christians. And you might have to move to those areas from time to time. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, that's uh, that's on a need-to-know basis. So anyway, I am losing my voice. We've gone over two hours. Uh, and I think we kind of covered everything. And you know, I don't have enough time to go through seven. So we'll probably do seven next week. Thanks, everybody, for coming. And... Uh, I'll see if I can get these edited so I can go back up on the mountain tomorrow and do some more work. We're digging through solid rock. And I was a little stiff yesterday when I came. To <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, sometimes that's easier drilling to solid rock than it is uh, drilling to the hearts of the people. But uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. I didn't see a lot of people dropping off the call Until we meet again, may God bless. Join the network. Thank you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.